underway on this Monday, October 2nd. We welcome you to the Scotiabank Saddledome, and we welcome you to our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Hot Stove Lounge at Steinberg and Wes along with you from the Dome, wherever you get your podcasts, and of course, live right here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Hello, Wes. How are you, buddy? I'm doing all right, man. I'm doing all right. Uh, we're going to uh, we're gonna spend the, the first half of, of this hour just talking about Chris Snow because the right thing to do um and we found out the news uh on saturday it was saturday that we found out that uh chris passed away at the age of 42 and you know you and i had spoken wednesday and thursday and then aaron was on with us on friday and you know we just kind of had waited to do the reminiscing in the in memoriam and and all of that type of stuff until the time was right i think it's pretty safe to say that the the time is right now it's uh it's been a heavy last five days or so around the scotia bank saddle dome but i wanted i wanted to start the hour this this was friday uh we found out that uh, chris was taken off life support on saturday but this was friday prior to calgary's game against the edmonton oilers here at the scotia bank saddle dome the uh flames jumbotron crew put together a uh, great video package for chris and uh, this was just before the game it was um followed by a, a lengthy round of applause from everybody in attendance at the scotia bank saddle dome if you weren't able to to uh, see it, if you weren't able to, to hear it, this was what was put together pregame on Friday. The Calgary Flames and the entire hockey community are devastated by the news that one of our own, Chris Snow, has been placed on life support with no hope of waking following his battle with ALS. Chris joined the Calgary Flames in 2011 as Director of Video and Statistical Analysis, later being promoted to the role of Vice President of Data Analytics and Assistant General Manager. His impact on the organization was immeasurable, but can be clearly seen in the growth of the Hockey Research and Development Department that supports all aspects of Calgary Flames hockey operations. Since his diagnosis in June of 2019, when he was given just one year to live, Chris has confronted ALS with grace, positivity, and hope. He fought with courage and unwavering determination for every day he got to spend with his wife and two young children, making countless beautiful memories with them along the way. Perhaps most importantly, he and his family also fought tirelessly to find a cure for ALS. Under similar circumstances, many would have requested privacy to fight outside the public eye, but the Snow family made a conscious decision to do just the opposite. The hashtag SnowyStrong campaign that launched in 2020 has raised more than $575,000 to directly fund ALS research and new treatments at both the University of Miami, where Chris received his diagnosis, and Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre in Toronto as well as Capture ALS, a Canadian research platform that unites internationally renowned ALS neurologists and researchers with patients in Canada. In 2022, the hashtag WeekSideStrong challenge was initiated with a simple goal of finding a cure. And 
his countless public appearances and willingness to share his story helped bring global awareness to the fight against ALS. Through this journey, Chris became a true inspiration to all who knew him and an incredible advocate for everyone affected by this awful disease. Our thoughts are with his family, wife Kelsey, and children Cohen and Willa during this unimaginably difficult time. Chris Snow is just 42 years old. So that was Friday, and uh, that was followed by a, a really cool round of applause, and then the game went ahead. I don't really, I don't really have anything planned here for the for the first half of this hour. Just uh, you and I knew knew him pretty well. Uh, we both have covered the team since Chris arrived here in 2011, and uh, yeah, it, it was we we knew about his. Um, we knew about the fight, and we knew about the diagnosis a little more than four years ago when we got that news, and, and obviously that has been the, the focal point of Chris's story for the last four years or so, but there's a whole lot more to his story with with the Calgary Flames organization and, and when he got here 12 years ago or so to where things are now, um, he, he had himself quite the, uh, quite the impact on the organization, and three different general managers uh, starting all the way back with Jay Feaster and then Brad Treliving. I guess four if you count Brian Burke, the interim general manager, right. and then this current GM uh, with, with Craig Conroy and his staff. He had, the, the, story, the story starts all the way back there, so I just, I'll, just share, I'll just share my first reaction when, they, when, when the Flames announced the hiring. So they they announced the hiring and announced him to help out in in kind of computer analysis, analytics, video advanced video scouting and all that type of stuff and I remember at that time I was still relatively new covering the team that would have been my first or second second or third year covering the team full time and and I I took a lot of uh, I took a lot of no, flax, the wrong word, a lot of playful ribbing for all my newfangled numbers. And uh, and so here's this guy who was only a few years older than me. Uh, he's an 81. You and I are both 84s. And this guy who was a phenom in journalism, because remember the guy was covering the Boston Red Sox and got plucked from Boston to go and be the assistant general manager of the Minnesota Wild and that's how he started his his hockey career so the Flames bring in this guy that's into analytics who's a millennial like me I just thought this dude's a rock star I'm like this, <laughs> this is awesome I was so and you were right I absolutely it turned out turned out that he was indeed and and I was just so uh so excited and I remember the first time I was able to track him down upstairs in the press box because I wasn't hosting games full time at this time and I remember it was uh, during a first period and I was I was able to track him down either early in the regular season or at some point in the preseason and just be like hey I'm Pat and he's like yeah, I've, I've, I've heard you before and, um, and and I just started asking about you know all the I'm like hey I'm a nerd for this stuff like and I bounced a couple things off he said yeah absolutely and it became very apparent that what I knew about analytics and what he knew was like 
me looking at a piece of the pie and him looking at the entire pie in the oven and uh, the kitchen and everything else. And it was just, uh, it was, it was super neat. It was the first time that I, I was like, Oh, look, it's like one of us. And he's, he's actually working for the organization and, and turned out that, yeah, you're right. He was a rock star. And, and that, that role just grew over the next 10 to 12 years. Right. I, uh, I want to share a couple memories for sure. But since you brought up, you know, the fact that he was covering the Boston Red Sox and then started working for the Minnesota Wild. I actually chatted with Doug Risebrow yesterday, who is a Flames alumni, but was um, was the general manager in Minnesota. And he said to me that, you know, so Chris had, had covered the Wild. And when he left to cover the Red Sox, Doug kind of said to him, you know, offhand, well, when you're ready to work in hockey management, let me know. And he said he got a phone call three years later from Chris saying, do you have a job for me? And Doug told me yesterday he thought it'd be more like 20 years before he got that phone call from yeah. Chris. And he said, at first I told him I didn't have a job for him. And, and then, and I thought this was such a neat part of Doug's tribute and you could hear the emotion in his voice. He said, a couple days passed and I started thinking, you know, this guy has a sparkling personality. He's so smart. He has a really good way of connecting the numbers to something that feels, you know, a little easier to grasp for people. It's not just this is the stat and, and, and I'm telling you this is the case, so do this. And, and so Doug said after a couple of days of thinking about it, he kind of thought to himself, well, we don't have a job, but we're going to make one. I, I can't let this opportunity pass. And... I just thought that was such a neat glimpse into Chris at that time, like 2006, right? So he would have been 25 years old. 25, yeah. That an NHL organization would look and say, this guy is so smart. This guy is such a rising star that we have to create a spot for him. I thought that was really neat. Yeah. And he goes from there and... Then all of a sudden he's in hockey management for the rest right? of his for the rest of his career, right? Uh, I used to tease, I guess is the right word, Chris, because I'd always tell him, "Oh, no, I I can't write about you. I don't write about people who are better sports writers than me." <laughs> and, and I I used to bug him sometimes, like, you know, I can't interview you because you know exactly where I'm coming from. I can't like I can't get any information out of you about your job and uh you know he'd kind of tease me back like we'd finish an interview and and because of the secrecy that comes with analytics and it was even more secretive sort of when he first started than it is today but we still don't know a ton about the sort of numbers they're dealing with the exact nature of their work you know all i know is is that what we think they're doing is sort of just scratching the surface yeah and so you know, I'd finish an interview with Chris about his work and I would have put up a a great fight trying to ask him the same question a few different ways and, and we'd hang up the phone or, or we'd finish our interview and, and he'd know like, yeah, you tried your best, but he's like, I, I win, <laughs> I win, <laughs> I win. <laughs> but yeah, so I used to tease him. I'm like, no, Chris, I, no, thanks. I don't, I don't interview people who are better sports writers than I am, but just to like a really compelling guy had the opportunity to have beers and just talk sports with him a couple times and you know that part 
will be just as missed as any of the professional part of yeah. it for sure. It was uh, it's funny you bring up the how secretive he was and how he was so airtight with what he because it's such a new and uh like it's it's very much still on the frontier, right? Like this is brand new to hockey. And so yeah, this has been this has been in baseball for 20 years now and and you know everybody is using the stuff that that started in Oakland and everybody that's that's not that's just part of the baseball conversation now. If you're not using that, what are you doing? Well, when Chris was starting and in his first four or five years, it was still very much new. And, and in a lot of ways, it still is. And so when he was named assistant general manager, and that would have been in the fall of 2018 when he joined Brad Pascal and Craig Conroy as AGMs on the team. I remember he sat down with us here in, in this room and Pinder and I were interviewing him and, and same thing. Pinder and I were like, try cause, cause Pinder was very much like, like me had a very, uh, or still is very, uh, a nerdy look at this stuff. And we, we loved it. We, we, and, and, I, I love just going through some of those spreadsheets and going to natural statric and just diving in and looking at all these numbers. And, and so we were trying to, like, get stuff out of him. And, and he revealed a little bit, but still, like, I would say he revealed 1% of what he could have and did a good job of, you know, again, same thing. You're like, oh, well, we tried. And we, it was a 25-minute conversation. And we, we tried, but we didn't, uh, we didn't get where we wanted. I remember my boss at the time. Uh, Kelly Kirsch was like, uh, yeah, uh, you uh, really talked about the nerdy stuff for a while there. Hey? <laughs> yeah, we did. Uh, but it's 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 uh, it's amazing. Like the the um, you talk to you talk to anybody who was in the front office with them, and they all said that like, yeah, you know what? Maybe at first I wasn't bought in on it, right? And then by didn't take very long for because of how passionate he was and and um, and how much he believed in what he was doing. It didn't take long for other people to buy in and, and start using this. Uh, like Ryan Huska talked about, I was like, I didn't really, I didn't really believe it. Then I re- oh my goodness, this this stuff helps. And and I know Craig Conroy was like that at first. And I wonder about Tree. And it just it's it's interesting. And yet when you uh, are so adamant and you are uh, you have so much belief and confidence in in what you're doing. It it goes a long way in winning people over. There there was a real, and I take this more from conversations with others because, you know, Chris wouldn't let on a ton about what he was doing, and and then if you sort of heard about what he was doing, wouldn't take credit for it anyways. But there was, there was a real professional persistence about him, and I think that really helped him to win people over when when he was explaining you know he he wouldn't hesitate to sort of explain something several different ways until he thought he'd hammered home maybe why this data was significant or how this could help you there there was a real you know he as you said he had a lot of confidence in your work and there was a persistence in being willing to kind of Hammer it home until someone else got it. And, and then, you know, the the other thing I think I'd, I'd say about Chris is, and you hear this whenever you talk to people about him, he was so 
thorough that if you came back to him with, oh, yeah, but what about this? He already had that answer. Yeah. Like, I remember him telling me a story one time that uh, a website, and this this was going way back to his early days with the Flames, a website had come up with a, a stat that showed that Sidney Crosby was the best player in the NHL by this measure. Yeah. And it was a unique way to look at it, and because Crosby had finished at the top and was widely regarded as the best player in the NHL at that point, people looked at it as, hey, whatever the equation is here, they might be on to something. And this website published maybe like the top 10 or something. And so one of Chris's assignments was, we'll dig in on this stat and see where it takes us. And I can't remember the exact number, but... Tim Jackman was on the Flames at that point. Yep. And by this statistical measure, he was their best player. And so that stat, with no disrespect to Tim Jackman, was pretty quickly discarded. Like, okay, this, you know, once we get a little further down the lineup, this is of no use to us. Yep. If this stat thinks that Tim Jackman is the best player we have, then it's probably not relevant to what we're doing. But that there was that thoroughness that... If you had th- three questions sort of beyond what he was explaining to you, he already knew the answer. Yep. I, uh, it's, it's Pat and Wes along with you on this hour of Flames Talk, and we're uh, just looking back at, at uh, Chris Snow and his time in the Flames organization. He, uh, he passed on Saturday. Uh, he was, uh, at the time, AGM and vice president of hockey operations for the Calgary Flames. And I, uh, it was always because... Because he was this, uh, because he was this guy who was my age-ish and was heavily into these what I call nerdy things, and I say that in a very like it's a, not a negative connotation when I say nerdy things, but he was into these nerdy numbers that I also was and, and am super into. It was always cool when uh, he, he'd come and say hi and he'd say hey Pat or whatever the the and 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 so. I, I remember the one time he was telling me that uh, his his son Cohen was a huge huge listener and a huge fan of the Colin show after Flames games and I just I don't know why I thought that was so cool specifically but it was just kind of like huh like this this guy that I think is like uh, it, it's cool that every once in a while in in this job you pinch yourself a little bit and you're like it's neat that person X or person Y is able to have a conversation with you or knows your name or is, is on a first name basis with you or will punch you in the arm and something like that. Like it, it's, it's neat. And, and it still has that effect every once in a while. And for whatever reason that, that one did, I'm like, Oh, that's, that's cool that, that Chris and his son are listening to the, to the call-in show after, after every game. And, and, you know, he was like, he, he said that, uh, yeah, he wants to call in, but I won't let him. And, yeah, <laughs> and, and, and I just, I just thought that was, I just thought that was, was super neat. And and it just, yeah, it was, um, he was, he was a guy that uh, definitely you enjoyed, you enjoyed being around. And it was, it was cool when, it was one of those things when you felt like 
he bought in on you. You're like, okay, yeah, that's yeah. that's good. That's good. Uh, maybe maybe I do know. Maybe I do know one or two things in the world. I you know I, I joke about him being a, a better sports writer than me. And, and when I say joke, I'm not saying that that part's not accurate. I would just tease him about it. Um, he was a, a better sports writer than me, and I wrote as part of a column today, and and it's on the Post Media sites. Sorry, yesterday it's still up. If if mm-hmm. you want to go read it. You know, when he would send you, when you would write something about him or, or kind of write something about anything and he would send you a, a compliment in my position, and I know this is sort of what you're saying as well, it meant so much to me because of the talent he had for what we do. Um, and, and on a couple of occasions, I wrote features about him that he would ask to get a PDF of because he had started to basically keep a collection of the the features that had been written about him and his courageous fight and and that was just always such a great compliment that that someone who had done the job and who had been in the spotlight i mean so much was written as it should have been about him over the last four four years and and then some that was always really neat to me yeah That, that it always meant a lot the uh, when, when I remember, it's one of those you, know, you have, you know, probably I, I don't know how many the the older you get, but you have those moments that you'll always remember where you were or at what you were doing. And um, I, I remember when the news release and 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 the Flames had known about his diagnosis for the longest time, but I remember exactly where I was. I was sitting exactly right here, probably in the the same position I am in right now when I got the email and it was just before Pinder and I were going to a break and it was the email Chris Snow diagnosed with ALS and, and you're like I just remember getting the email as we're going to break. I'm like, hey, we got to go to break. Like, cause that hits you like a ton of bricks. Sure. Um, that, that's, that's an email that I'll always remember receiving and thinking to myself, like that's one of the more significant things I've, I've ever read and not in a, obviously not in a good way. And it, uh, and that, that was the beginning of his public fight and, and the beginning of him um, being public with all of his treatments and what was going right and what needed to happen and, and really becoming the inspiration that he became, as we talked about last week, to literally millions of people, whether they were dealing with ALS themselves or had a family or fr- family member or friend who was or were dealing with something else, but his positivity in his fight was inspirational. That was that was really the beginning, but I'll, I'll always remember that because it was only it was only a year or so after him being named assistant general manager and I go all the way back to it's it's not these are kind of personal reflections. So if it, we're not making it about us, I just I remember it hit so much like a ton of bricks for me cuz I'm like I'm in my 30s, he's in my 30s and it that was like the instant like Oh my goodness! Yeah, you you could almost, or not almost, but you could at the very least put yourself ish in the shoes and be like, "How would I react if I was in that same position?" And I don't know if I would have reacted the way. Well, I don't, I don't know how he reacted initially, but I don't know if 
few months later, I would have been doing what he then did for the next four years. Well, and what made Chris Snow the sort of ultimate story for those of us covering, what made him the ultimate example, I think, for so many of us is is the way he the way he sort of embraced his opportunity twofold the way he embraced his opportunity to use his platform to make a difference in terms of raising money and raising awareness and the way he embraced his opportunity to squeeze the absolute most out of every single day like i i can't tell you Going back to Wednesday when, when Kelsey shared the news of his cardiac arrest mm-hmm. and his catastrophic brain injury, as she put it, I can't tell you how many times since then I, I've sort of caught myself about to start complaining about something, and you just kind of stop. And and this isn't, you know, this isn't me claiming I'm never going to complain about anything again, but you you kind of catch yourself and think what you can't complain about this yeah. like yeah. And, and that's the that's the example that i think he set like he he did things in the last 4 years he he was really proud to tell you that doctors gave him the you know prognosis that they said you you have a year to live that was in june of of 2019 and so he was, he celebrated as he should have after that. He had four birthdays after that. Yep. Um, you know, the one, the one thing I'll always remember with Chris, I was actually, I was in Tokyo covering the Olympics and we'd been texting back and forth about something just before I left. And, and he'd mentioned to me, well, I'm going to be throwing out the first pitch at, at Fenway. And so I thought about it a little, and, and I had texted him and said, hey, I, I, I'm going to be away, but we, we have to connect. I really, This is so cool. I knew as a Massachusetts guy, as a former Red Sox beat writer, I knew what Fenway was to him. Mm-hmm. And so I, I said, you know, I got to do this story. And so while I was in Tokyo, we found a time to connect by Zoom, and over the sort of couple of weeks between when we had first talked about it and when we had this conversation, he had convinced the Red Sox to also let Cohen and Willa throw first pitches. And it started with Cohen and they said, okay, sure. And then back with Willa, like it was really important to him that his whole family be a part of these things. And so we arranged this Zoom call, and they were on summer vacation somewhere. And so all four of them were sitting. This also includes Kelsey, obviously. All four of them were sitting at this sort of outdoor patio table, and I was interviewing all four of them at once by Zoom. And that was the best insight I ever got. Like, when you talk to someone and talk to their kids and you get to see the the look on dad's face like the pride that he had in cohen and in willa and the excitement about this opportunity the whole family had that will always stick with me yeah that more than 
Chris Snow, the professional, the sort of rink rat in some ways, you know, a guy who worked so hard. I'll never forget what it meant to him that his kids were going to be a part of that. And that conversation, and, and I wish I'd somehow kept the recording I had of it. That was just so neat. It's something I've, th- I've thought of so many times in the last few days. It's, uh, and, 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 you know, the, um, when you talk about him squeezing everything out of and, and, and really embracing the last, and every day was a day to embrace, uh, part of that was, you talk, talk about him being a rink rat, like part of that was him being here and being on the road and being in the office and, and watching tape and, and doing the analysis. And, and, um, and I, I remember that he was, and, and one of the things that throughout the entire time, he wanted to keep on working and he wanted to keep on doing one of the things that he loved and wanted to keep on doing it without I'm trying to think of the the right way to phrase it without people giving him special treatment mm-hmm. just kind of like it's part of the conversation I remember uh, a couple agents told me over the years that like in in talking with him and doing contract negotiations with him Tree Brad Tree Living would just tell them hey if you can't understand Snowy just ask him to say it again because uh, sometimes, you know, with, with the condition, uh, it's been a little bit more difficult for him to talk of late. So just ask him to repeat himself. He doesn't care. Right. He just like and, – and so it there, was – Not to interrupt, yeah. but there was a stretch when, when he felt like his voice was more clear when he was laying down. Yep. And he was negotiating contracts laid out Lied on down. a couch yeah. in his office. Yeah. Because it was easier for him to talk and, and yeah. to get words out more clearly. And and I also I, I so I, I I knew that and I had known that that was one of the things that was really important to him is like don't tiptoe around it mm-hmm. just acknowledge it and then be normal and so I remember I ran into him at Starbucks on 16th Avenue across from Sate I'm just sitting there working it was a it, it was a I was either I, w- I was getting ready for something and I was doing my work at Starbucks because that's that's what I do and and in comes Chris Snow. And he's out there. I, 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 at least Cohen, if not the whole family, was in the car. And but he came in to get a couple of drinks. He saw me there. Came up and talked to me for a little bit. I stood up. And at the time, his uh, he did not have full mobility in his right arm. So I just instinctively went to shake his hand with my left hand, and shook my hand back. And before we got to talking, he just said. He's like, I really appreciate that. Yeah. I was like, I was like it, and it didn't even occur to me that that would make an impact. I just remember him saying, hey, I really appreciate that. The, you know, I didn't like go to shake with my right. I just shook left hand and then went on with because that's, that's really what he wanted. He just want like, it's part of him now. It's what he's dealing with. Right. And so just, just acknowledge it and then go about your business and talk hockey with him. And then we just talked for about five minutes and he said, He's like, man, I really, I really want to bring Cohen in to talk to you, but we got to go. We got to be somewhere. <laughs> and, and, and I just, but I just said that that will always stick with me. I, I, 
I remember that the two of the last few times I, I saw him in person. Obviously, a pandemic uh, took a couple of years away from us being able to, to see him in person a lot. But um, the, the last time I saw him in person was in Penticton about two weeks ago. Uh, it would have been 15 days ago now. And, uh, yeah, I, it was so cool to see him because I hadn't seen him over the summer, obviously, because everybody's doing And you just – I just had remember sitting down after he came up and body checked me and I talked to, talked to him and, and talked to a couple of his analytics guys and said hi to Kelsey and the kids. And, and then I went, they, they went about their business and I went back down and again started wa- working at this coffee shop. I just remember saying to myself, damn, it was so good to see Snowy just because you hadn't seen him in a while. And, and there he was. He came up to me and, and body checked me. And, yeah. um, and he's like, hey, there's Snowy. In Penticton, walking around like this is it was it was, it, it was really good, and then here we are, 15 days later. Well, and and Craig Conroy told us yesterday, and I I know we're gonna chat with with Craig. Craig told us yesterday that he he had mentioned to Chris, hey, you don't have to come to Penticton, and Chris said, no, no, I I want to be in Penticton. I want to do the work we have to do in Penticton, and. You know, he talked about what we're talking about, the fact that he didn't want to do less. He didn't want someone to treat him differently because of what he was going through and had an opportunity to catch up with Brad Treliving yesterday. And I mentioned to him, you know, Connie said today he he tried to get Chris to do a little less work and it didn't work and, and Brad kind of started laughing and he the way he put it he said yeah every once in a while i'd get a tightening from snowy because he would find out that i'd given someone else a little bit of work that he would normally do you know i'd be trying to sort of lessen the workload on him so you know i thought i could be sneaky and i'd quietly go and say hey would you mind just doing this to someone else and said when when snowy got wind of it i was in deep like he would storm into my office and tell me in no uncertain terms, I'll tell you when I need to do less work. Yep. And that was, that was just him that, you know, I, it, it's always, it's always unfortunate that, you know, we have these conversations under the worst circumstances because this was a guy by the nature of his job who sort of worked behind the scenes here. And, we've found out and it's not like we didn't know but the last few days and in a lot of ways the last four years has really illustrated what a massive cog he was here at the saddle though yeah the impact he had the relationships he had the respect he had and that's why this past few days has been so touching for everybody yep just wanted to uh, spend the first part of this hour just uh, reminiscing. We both we both got to know him over his 12 years with the organization, and uh, yeah, uh, rest in peace to uh, Chris Snow, who passed away over the weekend, and uh, he'll obviously be missed, and uh, was was an inspiration, and will continue to be yeah. an inspiration for millions, as will the family with Kelsey and and Willa and Cohen, who uh, have been have been so strong throughout this as well. Yeah, absolutely. It- uh, it's gutting, you know, to think about Kelsey and, and the kids. I, I know Kelsey 
marked a birthday yesterday and, and just you know i i've gotten so many text messages from from friends of mine who had never had any contact saying geez that seems like such an incredible family chris seems like such an amazing guy and and all of that is true so kelsey cohen willa we're thinking of you yep for sure definitely those uh good vibes still uh Coming your way from uh, the whole crew here at Flames Talk and Sportsnet 960. It's uh, Pat and Wes with you this hour on Flames Talk. And uh, I'm glad we got to do that for a little bit and uh, a little bit more next hour as well. We're coming at you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Hot Stove Lounge. Your local experts for basement waterproofing, sump pumps, crawl spaces, foundation repair, and radon mitigation. They're all things basement-y. Visit dlbasementsystemscalgary.com. Anything and everything Calgary Flames. It's all on Flames Talk. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Steinberg, Wes Gilbertson along with you here from the Scotiabank Saddledome. And now Derek Wills joins us for our Daily Flames Roundtable. And we want to say welcome back to our friends at Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. They'll bring you the Daily Flames Roundtable all season long. The 2023 Mercedes-Benz EQ E350 SUV blends futuristic tech with plush luxury for $449 bi-weekly. Get yours today at Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. And gents, I want to start by playing this. So this was uh, Mark Savard when he joined us on our Flames Talk postgame show Friday following that 2-1 overtime loss to the Edmonton Oilers. And uh, he was asked about Matt Coronado. And I thought this is a really interesting thing that he said about Matt and the usage of Coronado here going forward. I think there's going to be a need at some point here to find him a guy that's going to get him the puck. Uh, you know, I love Nas, but Nas, you know, doesn't distribute as much. So maybe we'll look for some other for some other units moving forward. But uh, yeah, the kid's going to be a player. Uh, you know, he he reminds me of a Chris Versteeg. I don't know if you, he's a very similarity to him. I had Chris in Boston. He was down in Province most of the time, and then he got traded to Chicago. But I see a lot of similarities, and that's a pretty good hockey player. So that was in the thing that jumped out. It's like, okay, maybe Coronado, Kadri, they're not loving the fit. And what do you know on Sunday? There's Matt Coronado on the right side of a line with Michael Backlund as his center. And then Yegor Sharangovich on the left as the Flames get set for preseason game five against Winnipeg Monday night. Some different line combinations going to be tried out, including that line with Coronado on the right side of Michael Backlund. So let's... Let's dive in on that. What's what's your reaction to hearing that? And then what's your reaction to seeing a different look line for Matt Coronado? Different look lines, period, but that one in specific. Well, small sample size, but uh, there certainly didn't appear to be instant chemistry between Matt Coronado and Nazem Kadri in the first game they played together. Now, it was one game. Uh, they could develop some chemistry, and, and that combination could work, but it didn't look like it was instantly there. And when you think about who those players are, Nazem Kadri loves to hold the puck, whether that be to make plays or to shoot it. And as we just heard from Mark Savard, Matt Coronado, he's a shooter. So he needs someone to get him the puck so he can shoot it. He leads the team. And as a matter of fact, leads the league in preseason goals with three. Now, all of those goals came in a 10, nothing victory over the Canucks, but he did tally three times in that game. So uh, I actually asked Ryan Huska when we had a chance to chat with him uh, off the air today, who is your best playmaking centerman? And his answer shouldn't have surprised me. 
uh, didn't, and, and it shouldn't surprise anybody else either, uh, Elias Lindholm. But I would put Michael Backlund number two on that list. And the other thing about Backlund is that he's a terrific 200-foot player. I, I would say one of the best two-way centermen in the NHL. And then on the left side of that line tonight, they've got Yegor Sharangovich, who from everything that I've seen and everything that I've been told is also a pretty good 200-foot player who can play with some pace and potentially open up some things for his line mates. So anxious to see that threesome tonight. But when I think about Coronado and his skill set, and with him being you know, a good 200-foot player, especially for a 20-year-old, foot and, and the fact that he can shoot the puck the way he can, I do wonder if at some point in time, and it might not be during the preseason, guys, and, and who knows, maybe it's not even during the regular season, if we see him on a line with Elias Lindholm and Jonathan Huberto. And I say that because Coronado's a shooter, as we've talked about, the best playmaker on the team, and when he's right, one of the best playmakers in the league is Huberto, and Lindholm is the Flames' best playmaking centerman. So uh, on paper, that threesome makes some sense as well. I get the the sense, and I think you'd say this in a lot of cities with three preseason games remaining, but I get the sense the Flames haven't totally found sort of the click that they're looking for with their forward lines, and I think we can expect to see some more shuffling in in the next uh, in the next few games, I, I am curious, uh, and to get you know back to the question at hand of Matt Coronado, I think what he's shown is that he can be an option in the top nine. You know, especially with that hat trick the other night, he showed that hey, I need to be in a, a scoring type role, and now it's about finding the fit. Now, it, you know, if Nazem Kadri wasn't necessarily a fit for. Coronado because he's a guy who is maybe a little bit more of a look to shoot first and, and pass later. Um, you know, we, we've seen a commitment to try and make that work with Ruzichka and Dubé, but with three preseason games to go, I'm not sure that any of those top three lines are, are really set, and I'm not sure that's a bad thing, mm-hmm. but I'm really curious to see how it plays out this week. And the other thing that I, I'll, I'll just tag on about specifically trying Coronado with Backlund for a little bit is just there is a very long and proven track record of Michael making players around him better. I mean, just ask Sam Bennett or Joe Colburn or Lance Boma or early on Matthew Kachuk. I don't think Matthew needs it anymore, but uh, early in his career. And, and like, th- this guy elevates games of wingers around him and he insulates games of wingers around him and so if you're a rookie who is looking to have somebody bring him along in the early stages of his career the old Michael Backlund bump there's nothing wrong with that so I also just based on that proven track record of of making players around him better and elevating the games of his wingers it's kind of like it's kind of like Tanev on defense and and yeah you know what I don't know if Noah Hannafin now needs to have Chris Tanev as his partner anymore but it really helped him for a season when they were together so I, I don't think there's anything wrong if for half 
half a year or 30 games or something like that, Matt Coronado gets a chance to play on Backlund's wing because that that'll without question, it's almost uh, it, it's almost tough to argue that it won't help him because it will help him. It would help him. There's no doubt about it. And I also think it's uh, a testament to how good. And again, it's early, but how good Matt Coronado has been without the puck. Because if you're going to play on a line with Michael Backlund, you're going to get some tough assignments. You know, quite often that line is tasked with playing against the other team's top offensive line. So if the coaches didn't trust Coronado to, to play that role, they wouldn't put him with Backlund. Now, as we talked about off the air earlier today, Pat, I still don't like Blake Coleman in a fourth line role. And I'm not sure I like him with uh, any centerman other than Michael Backlund. For me, that's one of those combinations. And maybe that's why the Flames are experimenting right now. You know you can always go back to that. And those two guys are going to play really well together and, and make life difficult for Flames opponents. But uh, I'd still like to see those two guys together, Backlund and Coleman. But that doesn't mean you can't play Coleman on the left and play Coronado on the right on that line. So... We'll see how it all plays out, but uh, Coronado's off to a good start. And not only with the puck, leads the team in goals and points, but uh, without the puck as well. And I think for me, that's probably as impressive as anything for a 20-year-old. The most intriguing line that we're going to see tonight, for me, with all due respect to to the Backlund, Coronado, and Sharon Govich trio, I'm really curious to see how Andrew Mangiapane looks alongside Lindholm and Huberto on that top line because it it's not quite a, all your eggs in one basket, but those might be your three best finishing options. And I'm, I'm really eager to see how it looks. I think Manjapani can be a good look there. I think to Derek's point, Coleman and Backland are, are so solid as a duo that you can put a whole bunch of different guys on the right wing. We saw Walker Dewar get a look there. You could go a lot of different directions with those two guys and probably feel pretty good about it. I'm really curious. We know Andrew Mangiapane has been a really good fit with those two. Mm -hmm. But those defensive duties, I think, can restrict him offensively a little bit. And and I'm really going to be keen on that group. I want to see... Sharon Govich wasn't an immediate pop there, and, and now we're talking about a real small sample size. But I am really interested to see how Mangiapane looks on that top line. I am uh, as well, and, and I would add this, guys. I don't think that Lindholm and Huberto have had much more chemistry this season than when they were together last season. So maybe the coaches are experimenting with the right winger on that line, and in this case, Mangiapane, to see if if that guy adds an element that appears to be missing with those two guys together. He's Derek Wills. He's Wes Gilbertson. My name is Pat Steinberg. As we continue along on our Daily Flames Roundtable on this Monday edition of Flames Talk, a little further down the depth chart, guys, why why does Dryden Hunt, who they acquired at last year's trade deadline, I believe he was the first player they acquired at last year's trade deadline in March, why does he seem to have the leg up to crack this roster compared to some of the other bubble forwards who we'd put into the conversation? What has Dryden done to put himself, or what is Dryden bringing that puts himself a little ahead of the pack as it stands right now? 
Well, statistically speaking, he's been very productive in three preseason games. He's got two goals and three points, which is the second most on the team. He's got five shots and I believe a team best plus five rating. So a pretty impressive start to training camp for Dryden Hunt. And I had a great chat with him earlier today, and I feel like he's really motivated to, to play for just one team this season. He played for five teams last season, five, and the Flames weren't one of them. He played for three NHL teams and two AHL teams. So, you know, he's motivated to, to stay with the Flames and to stay in the NHL, and who can blame him after that whirlwind of a season? But, you know, he's been good with the puck and without the puck. And I wouldn't call him a young player because he's 27, but he's young-ish based on NHL experience. He's played, I think, 202 games in the league. But, you know, for me, that's one of the things that gives him a leg up on some other guys is, yeah, the, the Flames do want to inject some youth in their lineup, but experience is important too. We, we shouldn't forget about that. So the fact that he's played a couple hundred games in the league, uh, I think uh, gives him a bit of a leg up on some of the guys who – haven't played any games in the league or have hardly played any games in the league. But I, I think it's just his preseason performance, guys. He's been consistent in the three games that he's played. He's shown some versatility. I asked him today if he was comfortable playing all three forward positions because he's played all three forward positions at uh, points in time during training camp in the preseason. And he told me he's definitely comfortable playing both left and right wing. He's a left-handed shot, but is comfortable playing on the right side as well. And He's played center, but he's more comfortable on the wing is what he told me. So I think that versatility is uh, helping him out as well. The thing I I look to with the experience, and when we talk about a guy who's played 202 NHL games, is you could have two other kids on that fourth line. You know, we're going to see with an injury to Kevin Rooney, we're going to see Cole Schwint get a look as the fourth line center tonight. Well, he's played... Two, two or three NHL games. Walker Dewar seems like a lock on the right wing. Well, he's played 28 NHL games. And so while it's great to talk about the youth movement and we want more energy in the lineup, you also don't want necessarily to be rolling a fourth line of guys who don't have any experience whatsoever. And so I think one of the things that's working in Dryden Hunt's favor is that 202 games played i think his motor is really important he's not you're not going to call him fast but he's not slow either and he doesn't stop like that goal he scored in seattle where he chases the loose puck into the corner and hammers the one-timer off the boards he's a guy who has found a way in his career to sort of be around it and i think you've seen that with him probably you know, in his preseason audition. And, and the other thing that's working in his favor is he was smart in the offseason when he signed a league minimum deal. So he's not going to hurt you right. contract-wise. He gives wise. you flexibility. Yeah. yeah. You know, I had a very similar conversation to what Derek's talking about with Dryden about, you know, bouncing around last year. And he joked about he's got a place on, he spends his summers in Calgary, he's got a place on 17th Avenue that he gets jerseys framed to remember all his stops in the NHL. And he said, <laughs> last year I, I sent my wife, I, I couldn't go in there with all these jerseys again. So I said, hey, you can you go get these ones done? He's a guy who wants to be here in Calgary, who's eager to take advantage of the opportunity. And 
that's absolutely knocked with the injury to Jacob Pelche. It's right there for him. Yeah, and and he even acknowledged that on Monday morning. He talked about how he's like, hey, I mean, it's awful for Pelche that this is, but he's like, it's just another opportunity for me, and and he he really has dove at it. I, I think there's no question that him having the 200 plus NHL games under his belt helps him. There's no doubt about that because I think that that goes a long way in in if you're in a battle, I think that that just gives you a little bit of uh, that extra cachet when it comes to a tiebreaker. But um, I, I think I think what we've seen from him is also when you take a look at what they might be looking to accomplish on this fourth line. I, I don't think, and this is no knock on Milan Lucic and Trevor Lewis, because that line had an identity last year when they were together. But this line's identity this year, I think they want it to be a little bit faster. I think they want it to play with a little bit more pace. And I, I think that's exactly what Dryden brings. Without without sacrificing forecheck, without sacrificing a little edge. And, and, and Hunt plays with a little bit of edge. He He's one of the things that he does best he's straight lines and and good on the forecheck walker doer that's what that's what's gotten him to the nhl because that he just is a simple effective smart player you have those two guys flanking whoever ends up being the center whether it was going to be kevin rooney before he got hurt over the weekend whether it's rizicka whether it's anybody else i i just i think having those two guys as your as your two wingers perhaps really fits what craig conroy and ryan huska want this fourth line to be on the team this year and i think that also plays into it i think it and that's not to say that other guys don't bring that but i think he brings it a little bit more than a Klapka does he brings it a little bit more than even a zary does and and i think that that plays into why he might be derek the front runner right now for for being in this spot yeah he's uh certainly the front runner for me uh, to be one of the uh two players on that fourth line with Walker Dewar. And based on what he told me today, probably the left winger and not the center. Although he's won 40% of his faceoffs so far in the preseason. So he hasn't been horrible in that department, but some guys can be first or second or third line players in the AHL and can play the same role in the NHL, but they can't go from being a top nine guy to a bottom line guy. And I do wonder about that with Adam Ruzicka because when he had success last season, it was playing in the, on the top line or in the top six of the top nine. And as soon as he got demoted to the fourth line, he was a really ineffective player. But another thing that I asked Dryden Hunt about today was, how does your role change? How does your game change going from the AHL to the NHL? And, and he said that oh, during the offseason, he had a, a conversation with Ryan Huska about how he's going to have to change his game. You know, he's a power play guy in the AHL, probably going to have to be a penalty kill guy in the NHL. And so far, he's looked like a guy who, yeah, he can play top six, top nine minutes with the Wranglers, but he can also play fourth line minutes with the Flames. And, you know, if you want to get in the league and stay in the league, you have to be adaptable that way. And some guys aren't. Uh, and it's looking like maybe he is one of the guys who, who can make that change. I'll, I'll keep this quick because I think we have to wrap. But I absolutely agree with you, Wilsey, that the penalty kill is going to be a key part like he's going to need to take a slice of that if he wants to get in and also stay in the lineup it's interesting you mentioned that he's more comfortable on the wing than at center because the two guys who are going to impact Dryden Hunt the most in terms of whether he's in the opening night lineup are Adam Ruzicka and Matt Coronado 
And if those two guys stay in the top nine, based on the way it's going to roll out tonight, well, that bumps Blake Coleman to your fourth line. Then you've got Walker Dewar on the other side, and you're really only looking for a center. And so what they choose to do with Coronado and Ruzichka is ultimately going to have a major impact on where Dryden Hunt fits. Yep. Uh, Thank you, Wilsey. We'll see you in a little bit. Okay, see you soon. He's Derek Wills. He's Wes Gilbertson. My name is Pat Steinberg. That'll wrap us up this hour. Uh, this hour uh, started off with uh, just some, uh, some, some thoughts and some stories and, and reminiscing on the life of Chris Snow, and I'm really glad we did that. Uh, Wes Gilbertson on Twitter, at Wes Gilbertson, our producers, Taylor Dingman and Cam Hughes, and that'll wrap up our Daily Flames roundtable for Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Book a service appointment to select rims, have them put on before the snowfall, and enjoy the bistro while you wait at Mercedes-Benz Country Hills.